You are listening to Dracaris, a House of the Dragon podcast, where we review every episode of House of the Dragon. And today we are reviewing episode five, We Light the Way. The writer for this episode was Charmaine DeGreat, and the director was Claire Kilner. And this is our first wedding episode for House of the Dragon. What'd you think of it, Whitney? It didn't disappoint. It was definitely shorter than most weddings. It was our first shotgun wedding. I would say it was a pretty dull affair by Dothraki standards, don't you think? Only one death. (laughs) Yeah, only one death. It was very heart-wrenching at the end. I wasn't expecting it. (laughs) I completely forgot. I was like, oh, that's right. This is the universe that we're in. Of course, it's a wedding that's not going to go well. Yeah, I mean, once you have the red wedding, the purple wedding... This one is being dubbed the green wedding on the internet due to Allison's dress... I would have called it the kiss of death wedding, but that's just That's a good one too. (laughs) Rip to the night of kisses. (laughs) Not really. Didn't like it. We'll get to it. I didn't hate him. I do think they did a really good job of at least building Lenore and Joffrey Lawnmouth. That's the night of kisses. Mm -hmm. At least doing what they could with the time they had to kind of show you what this person meant to Leonor so that when we get to the end of the episode it hurts to like see him him being Leonor to see him wailing I do wish we had more time to like grow with the Valerian characters that's really my only issue with the pacing for the first half of the season yeah I don't feel like I spend enough time with them to care that much and I didn't have a problem with the night of kisses I'm not going to remember his actual name it's joffrey how can you forget oh joffrey okay (laughs) joffrey's die but he was scheming at a wedding We'll, we'll get into that i don't necessarily think it was scheming scheming this was an interesting episode of showing how different people interact with like the actual game of thrones some people are good at it or getting good at it and some people are just too straightforward which is you know what happens with Kristen cole he's not used to this world yeah he's a ticking time bomb and yeah. the night of kisses joffrey r.i.p didn't realize that he was gonna be collateral damage because he well, said yeah. the wrong things <laughs> He figured this other person would just be as open to the arrangement as he was. And again, we'll get into it in more detail when we get to the wedding part. But even Joffrey was starting to get jealous. Uh Uh-huh. And that probably motivated some of his actions. So starting the episode off, we actually have another death to talk about. So we meet... Damon Targaryen's very formidable and independent wife, Lady Rhea Royce. We're going to call her the Bronze Lady. Keeping it clean, guys. Keeping it clean. Unless we want to say the Bronze Boss Bitch. Because she is a boss bitch. (laughs) Yeah, I'm actually going to miss this character. And I saw her for two minutes. Yeah, I wish we got more of her as well. Like, yay for introducing her and not just killing her completely off screen. But it also felt like we didn't spend any time with her for the first four episodes. Why not use this time to develop some of the other characters who are going to stick around more? But... It was a very good and interesting scene. You see her first and foremost, you see her as a very skillful horseback rider. So that when information about this, all I hear, is that Chewy or? That is Chewy. (laughs) 
I chewy. Um, when news trickles about her death across Westeros, you know, we know Lady Rhea was a good horseback rider, so it, it already sounds fishy that she died the way she did. But when this all starts out, she's riding away from her cousin down a, a beautiful landscape. I hope we get to see, I, we will get to see more of the Vale because there is reference to a character who will be important later. The Vale is incredibly beautiful, but because it has a huge mountain range that kind of cuts it off from Westeros, it isn't as well known as like the Riverlands or the Reach for how fertile it is. But we see her riding through the landscape and then there's a figure creeping kind of in the mountain pass. And who's this figure, Whitney? Well, it's the Crypt Keeper, Raymond <laughs> Targaryen. Yes. Another note I made is uh, Matt Smith doesn't say a single word again in this scene. He's very good at emoting without any words. And we're seeing another dynamic of that here. Before we go back to the beggar boy, Crypt Keeper, just to piggyback off of your introduction of the bronze lady boss. <laughs> we first get a shot of the sky, which has been utilized to signify dragons. There's a shot of the sky and then a bird flies through and then you hear hoods and that's when you first see her on screen so already I can almost tell that there's going to be something ominous happening and then we're yeah. going back to Damon. Yeah I mean the moment he shows up like completely cloaked and shadowed you know it's not going to end well but you can also see Lady Rhea never liked Damon. She has no time for his shenanigans mm -hmm. it almost seems like Lady Rhea is one of the very few people who's able to completely see through his BS. She also knows exactly what buttons to push in him. So she mentions, you know, oh, if you're here, it must mean Viserys is once again tired of your BS. Mm -hmm. And oh, is it because he cast you aside as heir? Does that mean you're going to try to push over Rhaenyra from the throne? And then you see her stop for a minute because he does his own little smile. I get the sense, she doesn't say it, but I get the sense she realizes, no, he doesn't want to push Rhaenyra aside. He wants to marry her. And the only way to do that is to get rid of his current wife. And she also mentions that the marriage was never consummated. And I wonder if it's from her not wanting to or if Damon actually never wanted to bed her i don't think he would ever pass up a woman okay so at the very end damon spooks the horse so it falls on her and that's when she cracks her head and she's paralyzed he's about to walk away and leave her as is to the elements and whatever fate may await her but she says i knew you couldn't finish so the impression i got was that there may have been a point where they tried to consummate the marriage and as we've already seen before damon struggles with impotency issues so that's kind of the impression I got. He wasn't able to finish. That makes complete sense, especially if his impotency is linked to whether or not he feels like he has the power in the situation. Yes. Yeah. And she seems like too strong of a lady for him. So Damon's really interesting. I don't want to speak too much because it could get into spoiler territory, but Damon has a track record of being attracted to powerful women. And I don't think powerful women turn him off. I think they actually turn him on, but he doesn't like it when he's challenged. He doesn't like women when they challenge him. Okay. Be strong, but for me. This isn't in the books at all, It's but it's a very interesting, I don't know, weakness that Damon possesses in the show. So yeah. We're kind of left at that. The scene cuts. You don't actually see him kill her, but that's kind of 
the implication we're left with. And I think for me, this is the first time I was truly reminded of like, oh yeah, Damon is a really bad dude. <laughs> like as much as we enjoy the performance, he's not a good guy. He murdered his first wife. Like there's no justifying what he did at all. And so did Viserys. Yeah, it must be a, a Targaryen bro thing. So that opens the episode. From here, we cut to the King's Party on a boat to Driftmark. I only made a couple of notes here. You do see that Lionel Strong has the hand of the Kingpin. Lionel Strong has been named the Hand. I think everybody can agree this is a solid choice. He's one of the few people on the council that offers legitimate objective advice to Viserys. The other note I made about this scene is that Viserys is very seasick, but he's also looking completely wrecked. And you get the sense it's not just the seasickness, like something is up with him. Oh yeah, I wrote a note. I said Viserys looks like he's having seasickness, but I thought it was a good way to mask the reveal for later on in the episode when you realize he's losing his hand to rot. He's losing his hand to rot and he's also, it almost seems like he may have the Westerosi equivalent to consumption. Okay. Because he coughed up blood at the end. Or no, it wasn't coughed up blood. It was a nosebleed, wasn't it? Nosebleed, I think so, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll come back to that. But yeah, from here, we cut back to King's Landing. So, not an immediate time jump this time. It's only been maybe one or two days. Otto Hightower is leaving. It is raining and Allison comes out after him. And this is kind of the last scene we get of Allison where it's innocent, naive Allison. This is Allison about to leave her childhood behind. Yes, and she's still wearing the Targaryen colors, so yeah. you can see where she is on this stance in the scene. Yeah, she's very conflicted. She's crying because her father is leaving. She knows she's going to be alone, but she still wants to have faith in this new fa- family she's found herself in, and she wants to have faith in Rhaenyra. And Otto Hightower kind of spells it out for her very plain. And before I continue, we're going to get more of fangirl Rachel in this episode and more of critical Rachel. So critical Rachel is coming out right now. Way too many people are saying Allison turned on Rhaenyra because she had sex with whoever she wanted. And I'm here to remind people that this is not a CW show. Okay. This is, no, (laughs) we're not watching a CW show. We're watching a political high fantasy. So it is more complicated than that. And I think this scene here is what really triggers the change for Allison. And it really lets us know what's at stake here. He says Mm -hmm. to her, the time is coming, Allison. Either you prepare Aegon for rule or you cleave to Rhaenyra for mercy. He's basically saying Rhaenyra's very existence is a danger to Alicent and her children and she's got a hope that when Rhaenyra comes to the throne, her relationship with Rhaenyra is still strong enough that Rhaenyra is not going to look at Alicent's kids as a threat to her reign and kill them. Now, God, this is me. I am a huge Alicent hater and I'm going to be the devil's advocate here because here's the reality. Alicent has to understand that because of what her father did, which was scheme and manipulate her to put her in a position where she would marry into this family, she only has two choices. She pushes the claims of her children or she prepares for war, right? Or I would say she either prepares for war and pushes the claims of her children or she completely sets her claims aside and she sides with Rhaenyra. Now, if Rhaenyra had been more forthcoming about her night on the town, which, yeah, she should be able to have, 
Rhaenyra should also be able to keep her secrets. It shouldn't matter who she sleeps with, but here we are in a world where it does matter, as we've talked about previously. If Rhaenyra had been more truthful and forthcoming, I think Alicent would have been able to trust that her friendship with Rhaenyra would be strong enough to protect her children. Alicent doesn't have that trust anymore. That trust was broken. We can argue that Alicent broke the trust first, but we're dealing with a world where women have very few options when interacting with the patriarchy, and unfortunately that often means they're pit against one another. I'm 100% team Rhaenyra here, but I can still understand where Allison is coming from. Oh, anyway, yes. that's my soapbox. I'll step off of it now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good box. It's a good box. Yeah, Allison's got to choose either to be active in her children's survival mm-hmm. and be sure that Rhaenyra won't kill her and her children. Yeah. So Otto's to blame for this situation. But yeah. then putting those choices on Allison, the choices that she makes will all also put Rhaenyra in a position where she might have to do the option of kill. We don't know what might happen if Allison doesn't choose what she chooses later on in the episode, which we'll get to. Yeah. Otto Hightower put his daughter in an impossible position and left her with very little choices. So I don't think it's just a matter of Allison just being jealous that Rhaenyra has more agency and freedom. I have no doubt that's part of it. Um, Another interesting thing... I've heard and read on the internet is Millie Alcock and Emily Carey, I believe kind of of their own device, decided to kind of tease their friendship as potentially also including an attraction between the two of them when they were growing up. So if you kind of factor that in where, you know, you had two girls not fully understanding their sexualities and having this strong friendship that could have potentially been more, that's another added element to this. Molotov cocktail of drama, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's very interesting. I know a lot, I've seen a lot of people like shipping them on the internet too. Don't know if they ship them anymore. <laughs> so from here on out, I would say this episode has Allison stepping fully into her new role and kind of claiming her own agency going forward. And this scene is kind of the catalyst for that. Yep, she's Alice- now in a way going to be an antagonist and sort of produce outcomes that she may have been trying to avoid. Every villain is a hero in their own story, so one person's antagonist might be somebody else's protagonist. Alicent being alone now because her father was dismissed, she's gonna be in need of new allies uh, because the king sucks. (laughs) She's miserable with him, which we saw in the last episode. Can't really blame her for that either. So, you know, one of the first allies she seems to potentially be making is Larry strong aka the clubfoot what did you dub him whitney when we were watching oh littlefoot yes because he has <laughs> little finger vibes but he's littlefoot i like it i think we should go with littlefoot <laughs> all right littlefoot yeah so like when allison runs into him in the godswood you get the sense he didn't just happen to be there allison's probably known for hanging out in the godswood just as Rhaenyra was he's commenting on the fact that the weirwood is an outsider in King's Landing because the old gods aren't celebrated there, which is kind of a, a parallel to them. Alicent, because she has no allies, and Larry's because he has a disability. He's got very manipulative vibes going on, mentioning the fact that, like, hey, you have no allies now, and also offering her up some very potent information about the moon tea. And one of the things I kind of noted, which just goes to show, like, Alicent's 
starting to play the Game of Thrones now, but she's still an amateur because she never once questions the fact that he's offering to be her ally. And Mm -hmm. she's never once questioning why he's offering her this information. She just kind of takes it and brushes him off, but she does buy into it. And where does he get this information? Does Melos tell him? We don't know. Larry Strong is gonna, like you said, he has little finger vibes. He's also a second son. He's the younger brother of Harwin. So he's not supposed to really inherit anything on his own. So he's had to kind of find his own way. And I think we're gonna learn he's very resourceful. And I don't know if it's just that he's observant. We saw him in episode three hanging out with the women during the hunt he's unassuming right because he's got a disability so they just let him sit there as much as i love lionel lionel you're my 10 out of 10 Mm -hmm. i wonder if he's in competition with his brother because maybe lionel favors harwin over him kind of like oh who was sam's brother and then his father who got burned by drogon oh dickon yes yeah but dickon was the younger brother different situation because harwin is the heir yes but didn't he make dickon his heir yeah, that was a unique situation. Larry's wouldn't be as important to his father because he's the second son, which is why he kind of has to make his own way. And he gives me little foot vibes. <laughs> yes. We get a little bit more of Larry Strong, which is good that we got that scene with him because he will continue to be important in the show. And then from here, we go to Driftmark and High Tide, which is the name of the castle. And this is the seat of House Valerian. And we have a grown-up, or at least a young woman version of Lena Valerian. And she greets the king's party. And it's kind of a, it's a paltry greeting. They Normally, if the king's arriving at a big seat like this, you would have a bunch of fanfare for the king arriving. But there's literally no one else there to greet him. Like, Corlys doesn't even greet him. As we know, this was deliberately done. And then when we actually go inside of High Tide. I just made a few notes here. I thought the stage design was, uh, I liked seeing, I don't know if they were tarred heads, but you get the sense that this is kind of like how in Winterfell you have underneath Winterfell with all the, the stone figurines of the previous Lords of Winterfell. You have that for House Valerion with like the tarred heads. Mm-hmm. You also see that Corlys's seat is made of driftwood. So again, kind of playing on the idea that this is a seafaring house and that's where they made all of their fortune. And it also just has a very ancient feel to it, kind of the way Dragonstone does, as opposed to King's Landing, which is actually at this point only 100 years old because it was built when Aegon the Conqueror landed. Driftmark seems older. I loved the set. I hope we get to see more of it, to be honest. And I think this scene just sort of shows how desperate Viserys is because Mm -hmm. he takes the slight and just moves along. What slight is that? That Corliss wasn't there to greet him, that the king basically had to come to him. Yes. Very ill done. You you get the sense Viserys is passing tradition because he knows he needs to deal with Rhaenyra as quickly as he can. He needs to marry her off before she becomes more trouble than he can handle. When she's married, then he thinks all his good rosy plans are gonna happen. She's my heir, all my titles and 
everything will go to her and her kids will inherit the throne. He thinks it's going to be that easy. That's how desperate he is and probably sick out of his mind. Is it not that easy, Whitney? I don't understand. I thought a marriage fixes everything. No, because as we've been told multiple times by Damon, a marriage is for duty. Everything outside of it is the good parts. Well, speaking of marriage, Viserys has indeed come to propose a match between Rhaenyra and Laenor, uniting their houses and honestly just repairing the rift that has grown between them ever since Viserys rejected baby Lena for understandable reasons. Corlys challenges him and asks for clarity on how the succession will work and more importantly the surnames of the children and the idea of a family name is very important to the people of Westeros. Corlys would clearly like to have a Valerion sit the throne and Viserys comes up with a good compromise I think he says the children born to Rhaenyra and Laenor will bear their father's name of Valerion but the firstborn be it a boy or a girl when they ascend the throne they will assume the name of Targaryen so that was another really interesting thing I caught here Viserys is basically changing the law again honestly he's appropriating Dornish customs which is that it doesn't matter if it's a male or female whoever is born first will inherit everything yeah and this is a great compromise and for once as like Viserys good boy yeah I don't think he necessarily did it because he was trying to be savvy or anything. I think he was just kind of like, whatever, I need to get this over with. And I think this will be the thing that placates Corlys. But what else does Viserys find out during this scene? He finds out that Damon's wife has tragically passed away. You get the sense he listens to the information. He takes it in. You kind of see him like visibly brace himself just like, really now? This happens now? And then he moves on because he does not have time to deal with it right now. No, he doesn't. And then since since they have reached a compromise, we next come to Lenor and Rhaenyra, who, as I say, are playing a game of duck, duck, goose. <laughs> yeah, so Rhaenyra clues the audience in. This, this is like clever exposition from the show that mm-hmm. Lenor is gay. He prefers the company of men, as we will come to see. And she proposes a very forward and progressive thinking sort of marriage arrangement. They are to do their duty to their realm and provide heirs but after that they are free to see whomever they please yeah i like this arrangement good on rhaenyra i do too and you can see laenor is relieved as well this is honestly probably the best kind of arrangement he could have hoped for i would imagine anyone who has to marry for political reasons this is probably the best kind of arrangement anyone could hope for yeah we have our duty to do but i fully and completely understand you have your own preferences I support them and I ask that you just support mine as well yeah or he could move to Dorne that's it (laughs) if Rhaenyra and Laenor were in Dorne none of this episode would have happened Because this is how a lot of the Dornish arrangements are. We don't really get too much on Westerosi opinion when it comes to same-sex relationships. But we do see that Leonor seems very relieved that his future wife is not judgmental. I think it's the next scene. You have Leonor's parents talking about the fact 
that, you know, hinting that Leonor is gay. And Corlys says something that's pretty much the equivalent of, oh, it's just a phase. He'll get over it. Homosexuality in Dorne. Speaking of Dorne again, it's much more accepted. And I would say the rest of the Southern Kingdoms tend to be more rigid about it. It's kind of like if you remember Loris and Renly. It was kind of an open secret that Loris was gay. But... They pretty much were okay with it as long as it was done with discretion. Kind of like a don't ask, don't tell sort of thing. In Dorne, it's much more acceptable. Yeah, of course, it's, it's part of human nature. So why would anyone speak ill against it? So this is, again, it's it's a good arrangement. And I think if this wasn't... House of the Dragon and the world of Game of Thrones, they would have gone on to have a very, very happy open marriage. <laughs> I wonder how the fight that happens at the end of this episode is going to alter that arrangement, maybe just a little bit. We'll see in the next episode. Yeah, it's interesting because in Fire and Blood, again, everything is salacious rumor when it mm-hmm. comes to Rhaenyra, but they say that both of them had their own paramours. We won't say who Rhaenyra's next one's gonna be but it's kind of hinted in the episode oh yeah i'll make note of that they uh they say in fire and blood that Lenor would go do his own thing Rhaenyra would go do her own thing and occasionally Rhaenyra would join Lenor with his paramours so it just continues <laughs> well i mean they both like duck duck exactly right <laughs> and if they can squeeze an air out of it cool <laughs> But yeah, so you get the sense that this could actually be a good wedding. This could be a good union. From here, we switch over to the Rainies and Corley's scene. Again, Corley's is more concerned with his son's sexuality. He says something to the lines of, oh, they're on the beach together. Oh, hopefully just, just by being around her, that'll kind of turn him. Did they seem to be getting on? But Rainey's is a little more practical. She's thinking of the danger to Lenor and, and their potential heirs because Rhaenyra's succession will be challenged, as she's mentioned time and again. Yeah. Corlys is concerned about his son's sexuality, and Rhaenys is more motivated by safety and the future of her family. What's interesting is Corlys is still holding on to the slight that was done to his wife. Mm-hmm. And she yeah. says rather pointedly, you know, for me, I've let that all go. Yes, I, I wrote that note down too. I I actually really love this scene between Corlys and Rainey's. It shows their dynamic and how sweet it is. And you get the sense that there's a genuine love and affection between the two of them. Mm-hmm. He does feel slighted that his wife was slighted. He takes great pride in the fact that he married her. And he's very outraged by the fact that she was passed over for the throne. He makes a comment of, I would like to remedy that in whatever way I can. And now Rhaenyra is his option to do that. But Rainey's knows the hearts of men better than anyone because she was already rejected twice. She knows this path could very likely lead to war, and that concerns her because she's no longer concerned about the Iron Throne. She just wants to see her family thrive. Yeah. She's a very practical Targaryen. We're not used to seeing non-ambitious Targaryens, but they do exist. So it's kind of nice to see a different side to one of our Targaryens. Would you think Meister Aemon at the wall was ambitious? He was not ambitious at all. He actually was offered the throne because he was the older brother of his egg. He calls him egg. 
because Aegon was known as Egg when he was younger. Mm. If you've ever read the Duncan Egg tales, you know the reason for that. But yeah, no, Aemon, he never had any interest. I believe he was the third son, so he already knew it was very unlikely that the throne would pass to him. So, and all he was interested in was books. So he went to Old Town, studied to become a meister. And when his two older brothers died, they did offer him the crown and he turned it down because he knew Aegon would be a better king. Yeah, he's completely unambitious. I liked him as a character. Yeah, again, we see the other side of the Targaryens that are not quite as ambitious. Like, a lot of the Targaryens are actually very scholarly. They're very interested in history. You know, we see that with Viserys when he's building his model of Valyria and he loves the stories and, of course, he's more interested in the dreamers and the dragonlords. So you kind of have these two different kinds of Targaryens. Some are just full of fire and hot-blooded. And then there's others that are just more interested in legacy, I would say. It's nice to see balance. It is. From here, we get a short little scene with Joffrey, Lonmouth, and Laenor. We get to see Laenor just frolicking about with his lover and enjoying himself. And he lets Joffrey know that Rhaenyra and him have come to an understanding and he gets to keep Joffrey as his paramour. I just wrote kisses and Laenor. Hmm. (laughs) That's all I wrote. They look very happy together. Again, I just wish we had more of it, more time to sit with them. I think there's an unfortunate trope in Hollywood that's known as kill all your gays. And Joffrey is killed in this episode. He does die in the books, so that's not out of nowhere. It it just sucks that we didn't get to develop him more. It reminds Mm -hmm. me a little bit of how Loris was treated in Game of Thrones because Loris was known as a renowned warrior and because Game of Thrones elected to not include his two older brothers from the books. Mm -hmm. He's made the heir of House Tyrell and basically is just relegated to his sexuality. But Book Loris actually becomes a member of the Kingsguard and is very much more than just his sexuality. He's like a full-blown character like a secondary character but he's very much he stands in as jamie's mirror i just got some of those show loris vibes from (laughs) joffrey lonmouth we didn't have enough time to really sit and develop him so he just kind of comes on the screen it's like oh yeah i'm gay and a little bit of a pot stir and then he dies so i i really hope we get more time with Lanor and have a chance to continue to see him grow as a character and that they don't just focus on his sexuality. I don't know how much more time we're gonna have considering... Our listeners don't necessarily know that. <laughs> well, I hope we have time. What are you talking about, Winnie? He's gonna live forever. No. <laughs> no. No. We'll have some time. We don't know how much time, though. Yeah, that's true. So, again... One of those things where I'm I'm constantly like, please treat this better than Game of Thrones did because characters aren't just their sexualities. You don't focus on the fact that like, I don't know, Otto Hightower is just completely straight. So I hope they continue to develop Lanor at least. That would be nice. I think they're handling characters well, but as we've discussed, I think they're trying to sort of super speed to the main event yeah and then the chronologicalness of the show will get not as super sped through yeah once we get to the dance of the dragons are actually breaking out we'll have more time to sit with the characters yeah 
I'll try to give him the benefit of the doubt then. <laughs> Me too. Um, again, I've, I've been very supportive of this show. I'm very, like, still very excited for it. I still think it's the best show on television right now. But I am going to keep that critical eye out because, you know, Game of Thrones started off really well and then it went downhill. So we shall see what happens. I don't think that's going to happen here, but it was something I noticed. So I wanted to mention it. I saw something on the Twitter today where it says George R. R. Martin hopes that the House of Dragon expands the universe, how like Star Wars and Marvel are doing. Oh, and I, I definitely think it will, for sure. Yeah. yeah, people people are showing that they're very interested in other events from this world. And if the story's told right, it's it's worth watching. Yeah, like I can't wait to watch the Nymeria show. I am so excited for that if it ends up taking off. I can't wait to watch um, the Jon Snow show because I really loved Kit's portrayal. Yeah, still have mixed feelings about that. But this show is giving me a little more hope that maybe that one can be treated well. So we'll see. Give me some Duncan and Egg. I think Duncan Egg would be fun. Right? They're written as kids books. So oh, anyway. <laughs> Perfect. I can show my nieces without being scared. Uh-huh. <laughs> let's get back on track and get off these tangents there's a lot of wonderful books from this world not just fire and blood not just the song of ice and fire so yeah so our next scene um is the Rhaenyra and Kristen Cole scene before we continue in this as well we're gonna get some um fangirl Rachel and we're also gonna get some critical thinking Rachel here just giving you guys a heads up I've seen a lot of for me it's annoying discourse on the internet calling Kristen Cole in incel and while I think his behavior leaves much to be desired in this episode again I think that's simplifying just how complex the situation is but first thing I noted and I think you might have noticed this too Whitney because you're a film geek like me the scene starts off very sunny with nary a cloud in the sky and the hope of Kristen Cole is lit up as he walks to Rhaenyra in this beautiful soft lighting it's got this like fairy tale romance drama feel to it Kristen Cole is lit up very well here so is Rhaenyra and he's still her shining white knight and he goes to Rhaenyra with his own proposal he basically says hey I've come to know you having spent so much time with you and I know because you've talked about it how unhappy you are with the fact that your father's kind of just marrying you off like your cattle and Mm -hmm. so he says I know this is not what you want and I have an alternative for you basically he says Rhaenyra come run away with me we can go down to Dorne hide away in an orange crate hop on a boat to Ashai and go travel and adventure around the world and what does Rhaenyra say to that she sort of gives him a small smile walks away turns around says but I am the crown and my duty is important and Laner will make a good husband and basically no but we can still see each other yeah But I am the crown. That was the key takeaway here. Because he mentions her. He was like, I know you don't want to just be married off and just because of your crown. She's like, but I am the crown. And she basically says, I know I've, I've shirked my duty. I know I complain about it, but I'm not about to actually completely abandon it. There are things bigger at stake than just 
my desires, your desires, and this relationship. She doesn't get to tell him what exactly is at stake because he walks away by that point. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as much as she complains of duty, she does intend to honor it. And then, as you mentioned, Rhaenyra, the scene is still very brightly lit because she's still hopeful. She's come up with this fabulous arrangement where, yes, she's married to Laenor um, and she will do his duty to him, but they've both agreed that whatever pursuits they had before whatever desires should either of them be in love they can still pursue that on the side presumably with discretion yeah and Kristen cole is not having any of it no he is not can i mention this line because i want to know your thoughts on this yeah i'm going to paraphrase but he says i lost my honor the only thing i had to my name was my white cloak and i lost my honor and the only way i could think to get it back my honor was to marry you Mm -hmm. so he says that is that a confession of love or is that just a man thinking that's how he gets his honor back it's very reminiscent of the idea of i've slept with this maiden i have sullied her now i have to marry her to preserve her honor right but it's swapped and now it's Kristen cole saying i have forsworn my vows and the only way i can think of to redeem myself and you presumably because he's taken her maidenhead uh, is mm-hmm. to forswore more of my vows by <laughs> taking you as my wife that's kind of the irony here in order yeah. to redeem himself he has to like completely shatter his vows which he doesn't seem to grasp that concept it's weird it's a weird take on honor but by what he's saying and what he's doing he'll have no honor yeah he's not looking at it that way because if if he and Rhaenyra are away from the system where that honor interacts with Mm -hmm. and then he's thinking it doesn't exist anymore I guess those are the mental gymnastics he's doing I'm not going to defend Kristen Cole but the thing I am going to point out here is that again we've mentioned this in previous episodes Kristen Cole was common born he was the son of a steward where he had very few options in life and he figured out quickly he was good with a sword so he enlisted in whatever army existed at the time made small acclaim there and eventually climbed his way up got the attention of Rhaenyra and was named to the king's guard as he mentioned in the hunt episode that's the highest a coal has ever achieved and it was all because of her because she recognized his ability and she elevated him to the status of Kingsguard, her sworn protector her sworn protector and on top of that this is what we have to remember it's not just Kristen doing mental gymnastics to save his honor or even just him getting rejected by a girl joining the king's guard is a big deal it's assumed that these are the most honorable men in all of westeros and i know the show you know game of thrones really didn't do a good job of showing just what that means because of how poorly they treated the character of jamie lannister even jamie in the books understands he's tarnished his white cloak but it's kind of the lot in life he found himself in and he spends part of feasts for crows Mm -hmm. trying to get back on the redemption path so he can be worthy of his white cloak i also mentioned the member of the king's guard who had died um, that made it possible for a position and a slot to be open that Kristen Cole was named to. He's the man who was responsible for punishing another member of the King's Guard who had forsworn his vows. He sent that man 
to the wall because that man had actually fathered several bastards by several different women. So in this universe, breaking your vow is a huge deal. We see that later when he confesses to Alicent. (laughs) Stupidly, he doesn't realize she's not talking about him. But he says, all I ask is that you don't torture me. Please deliver me a swift death because it is understood, just like the Night's Watch, that if you forsake your vows, you could end up getting executed. Kristen Cole is a very simple man, not used to the the Game of Thrones, not used to the depravity of the Targaryens, and he doesn't see any other way out of the situation. True. The other thing I noted here, putting a more modern lens on it, mm-hmm. you have two people who are clearly attracted to one another, but this is this is a classic tale of you can be attracted to somebody and not be compatible with them. Yeah. Kristen Cole is a man of honor. Or he was. <laughs> we'll see if he continues to be going forward. He's a man of honor, very straightforward, you know, the white knight who fell in love with his princess. Whereas Rhaenyra is very hot-blooded, very progressive and forward-thinking, very free-spirited. It's almost like somebody who's monogamous trying to date somebody who's polyamorous. Let's not forget, Christian Cole was her second choice that night. He doesn't know Um, I know, but I'm just saying. Yeah. He may be besotted with her. But I don't know if she is to that degree. I don't think she's as besotted with him as she is with Damon. But again, she's also young. And Damon, she sees a kindred spirit. And we'll talk about that later because I have opinions on that too. Um, In Damon, she sees a kindred spirit. In Kristen Cole, she sees somebody who is her protector, which in theory means somebody she can feel safe with, not just physically, but emotionally. So that's a different kind of connection and relationship. You can still have that connection and still not be compatible, which is essentially what this is. But having like gender dynamics and sexual politics mixing into everything where by forsaking his vows, he really did put his life at risk for her. And I don't think she fully understands that. And I don't think a lot of this fandom fully understands that. Again, not excusing his behavior later. Uh, Mm -hmm. The toxic masculinity we see on display is because of the patriarchy. Because he has no Mm -hmm. other outlet for his emotions, essentially. Yes, he has none. And I think, to piggyback off of what you said, I think she kind of hears what he's saying because she says, I won't tell anyone. Yes. And I actually believe her when she says she won't tell anyone. Yeah, I do too. But he ends up doing it anyway. Not on purpose. He thinks he's already been found out. Yeah, he's gonna blab. (laughs) (laughs) It's like how Ned Stark, like, confessed on himself too. (laughs) These are simple-minded men who don't understand the Game of Thrones. That people have their own motivations and agendas. And that just because you think something is the way it is doesn't mean the other person thinks that way. So Exactly. The last note I made is by the end of this scene. We started off bright and sunny. By the end, clouds have actually rolled in. You can see a storm is literally brewing on the horizon. And the scene is completely draped in shadow, which is beautiful visual symbolism for the storm that's about to hit a lot of people mm-hmm, <laughs> because mm-hmm. of the one night of passion these two had oh and the other other note i made (laughs) sorry one last mention of dorn 
Um, okay. It's ironic. He makes the comment of, so you just want me to be your whore? But what Rhaenyra is essentially asking him to be is her paramour. And I would say that aside from a king consort, that's the second highest position he could possibly hope for. And it's ironic he comes from Dorne because Dorns treat paramours with more respect and paramours are actually kept openly. So it was just another thing where I was like, dude, you should be so lucky to be her paramour, but whatever. <laughs> you should be used to this. You grew up around it. I'm sure your dad had a paramour. I don't know. I don't know that he grew up around it because even though he's Dornish and was born in Dorne, he served Lord Dundarian, or his father did, which is in the Stormlands. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I think my last note from the scene is you kind of have to wonder if Rhaenyra will look back on this day and wonder how different her life could have been had she agreed to run away with him. I even think she contemplated what that would be like for a second. Millie Alcock is really good at also kind of emoting with very few words. You, you see the, the conflict kind of dance on her face a little bit. Yeah, the subtleties of everybody's performance and it allows the viewer, us, to feel things sort of grasp where we think the characters are going and i think that's great yeah for sure our next scene is allison watching the king's party come in the tripping hazard yes uh (laughs) right before she invites Kristen cole up to see her she sees the series fall i think that was deliberately done to show what otto said i don't know if you remember what otto hightower said to her before leaving but he said Viserys is going to die. It could be next month or it could be in a couple of years, but he's not going to live to old age, which is why you have to make your choice if you're going to stand behind your kids or cleave Mm -hmm. to Rhaenyra. So seeing Viserys fall is a reminder of he could die sooner rather than later. So she has to start acting now. My notes on this was... I noted what she was wearing. She wasn't wearing a red dress or a black dress. She was wearing blue, which I view as a very transient color. That's a good point. And then we'll get to the outfit she chooses later. And she does note that the king fell. And you've seen in previous episodes where she's been tender and caring towards him. She doesn't run to be his wife. She takes note of this. And she asks for Christian. She doesn't go to her husband. So I think that's a big clue of where her mind is going at this point. I think she's at the point now. It's kind of her point of no return. But she, before she makes her turn against Rhaenyra, she wants proof that her suspicions are true. And she gets proof about her suspicions, but they're from, well, an unexpected source. She gets an ace in the hole. (laughs) Yeah. Well, she's expecting, she basically comes out and says, I, because you're Rhaenyra's sworn protector, you're going to see more things than most people do. I know it's not necessarily right for me to question the princess's honor, but some disturbing information has come out. And it seems she may have sullied herself. And again, piggybacking off the whole Kristen Cole not understanding that multiple agendas can be at play. He thinks she's confronting him because... He's the one that took Rhaenyra's maidenhead, not knowing she's talking about Damon. Good old Damon. And he he confesses, and he's very regretful. You see that he's, he's very sorrowful. He's ashamed, really. That's what it comes down to. He's ashamed. 
that he forsake his vows, which meant a lot to him, and now he's been rejected by Rhaenyra too, so his only out is no longer an option. And Mm -hmm. again, this is where he begs her for a clean death rather than torture, but what does Alicent end up doing? She shows him mercy and tells him to go back to his post for the time being because he's useful to her now. I don't know that she's realized he's useful just yet. Um, You can tell she sympathizes with him. She's deeply disturbed. Again, we don't really know if this is just because her suspicions have been proven true, albeit with a different person. But she's shocked and she's kind of realizing the scope of what she doesn't know about Rhaenyra. Because Rhaenyra Mm -hmm. didn't share this information with her. Yeah, she didn't have to, but... She didn't have to, but... We got to keep keeping her father's words in mind. Uh, if yes. she's going to cleave to Rhaenyra, that means she needs to trust her fullheartedly. She has to trust that Rhaenyra is going to have her back. And all she knows right now is Rhaenyra is keeping things from her. So really, if you were in Allison's position, what would you do? Oh, no, 100%. I, I can see where she's coming from. But whereas you mentioned earlier... Allison might have broken the trust between the friendship first by keeping her doodlings with Viserys a secret <laughs> until it was no longer possible when she was ambushed at the council meeting that he was going to marry her quote-unquote friend. And I think up until this point, I know you said in the books and it looks like in the show, Rhaenyra kind of stays away from her step-siblings, mm-hmm. but she has sort of kind of come to at least be civil to that arrangement. Yeah. Um, You know, and I don't think Alicent, I know she's coming from the I have to protect my kids, but she's not giving Rhaenyra a chance. She's going to make her decision. She confronted Rhaenyra in the last episode. Well, there was that, but she asked about Damon. She didn't ask about Christian. She didn't give that information up because as she told Christian, she won't tell anybody. That could also include, as you said, the queen, her stepmother slash friend. I can just see both sides. not defending Allison here. I'm just, I'm just saying. I mean, you and I are best friends. (laughs) Yes. Do do I withhold anything from you? No, but you You tell me. You withhold it from me? No, but you tell me in your own time, you know? I won't know what to ask you. And so if you don't tell me until later, I'm like, okay, you told me. Exactly. You think Rhaenyra was ever going to tell Allison in her own time that she banged her Kingsguard? I don't know. Because as you say, the power structures during that time are different. My virtue or my, I don't have a, um, a personal guard who, who's a virtue <laughs> I'm also like, protecting. If, if anyone would like to volunteer to be our sworn swords. <laughs> yeah. You can reach you know, us at... <laughs> nearest spot if it's not asked i'm not gonna offer up the information freely mm-hmm. now if allison was like have you slept with sir christian and then she lied about it then yes i could see where she could be a little peakish you know but she didn't ask she asked about Rhaenyra's honestly just kind of state of morality and yeah, it's suspect, but honestly, so is Allison. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing with you there. I'm just, I'm just saying, if Allison has to choose between pushing her son or trusting Rhaenyra, 
to protect her? How is she supposed to trust her if Rhaenyra is not fully forthcoming with her? If Rhaenyra is not showing she can trust Allison, That's what Allison's dealing with right now. The jealousy is there too. But I'm like, this is the core of it. This is the conflict right here. Yes, there if is Allison the jealousy. Allison is going to trust that Rhaenyra will not murder her children later down the line, she has to have Rhaenyra's full trust. And she doesn't have it. And that's what she's realizing. Yes, exactly. But then I also think Rhaenyra doesn't feel like she has Allison's full trust either. Oh, for sure. That's why she didn't reveal the truth to Allison. I'm not saying Rhaenyra doesn't have any reason to trust Allison either. Like, she has her own reasons for withholding the information. But that's the conflict right here. It's it's not just that Rhaenyra banged her Kingsguard. It's Allison oh, has yeah. to think of self-preservation. And right now, Rhaenyra is not showing, without a doubt, 100% that Allison can trust that she'll protect her later. That's what it comes Oh, to. yeah. Yeah, I totally see that point. And then Rhaenyra is gonna probably start feeling the same way if she doesn't already. I get the sense there... now. <laughs> when she gets to the stepdaughter. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Allison made the mistake of showing her cards a little too soon, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how the relationship develops when um, they do the time jump in the next episode. We'll see. Well, from here we go to the uh, series with the Meisters and he has not been doing well. He looks terrible. The only major note I have here is that the older Meister can't remember the names. I'm terrible. Is that Melos? Is that the yes. same guy with yes. the T? Okay. It's Melos. So Meister Melos is insisting on doing the leeching. This was a common practice done in medieval times because the sin did not exist yet. And we now know that leeching is very bad for you, but they did this a lot. And he completely rebuffs the younger Meister's attempts to offer an alternative healing solve. And I think that was deliberate. I think Melos knows that the leeching doesn't actually work or work mm -hmm. and I think he's deliberately trying to make the king more sick that's the impression I'm getting I got that impression throughout the entire episode especially yeah. with is it Laris Littlefoot <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know I'm wondering if he's working with the Meister you know that's a good point because how did he know about the tea unless he knows how to get through the secret passageways and is spying in her bedroom yeah, and yeah, just again, remember Otto said that the king would not live to see an old age, and he said that very uh, convincingly, like he was very sure when he said it, and it's like, how do you know that unless you're like contributing to making the series sick, so... And working with Littlefoot, we, working we just don't know. Working with Littlefoot, working with the Meisters, again, the Meisters come from Old Town, which is the city that House Hightower rules over. And then at the wedding, I know we'll get to it. But Allison's uncle says Old Town is with you. Yes. I don't know. We'll see what's happening over there. Um, well, speaking of the wedding, we are at the wedding at last. And oh, we wait. Before we move on, can we talk about Strong and Viserys' conversation where he questions if he's going to be a good king? Yeah. I thought that was sweet. Viserys is wondering if he'll be of note because he was never tested. He kind of, as you've said, has ruled during peacetime. Yeah. And my 10 out of 10 man, he's just like, you know, the kings that have been tested 
often wish they weren't. And he's just such a good man. That's all I wanted to say. We don't tend to remember the peacetime kings, but I would imagine the people living during those times uh, were definitely a lot happier and grateful for them. So the series can take comfort in the fact that the small folk probably have full bellies and mm-hmm. they go to war right now. <laughs> yeah, because I'm going to sell you. These last few years that we've been living through, mm-hmm. I don't want to remember them, but I know they're going to be in the history book. Yep. Yeah, give it up for peacetime kings. (laughs) So we're off to the wedding at last. We see Sea Smoke and Maylees. This is our fourth dragon. Maylees is the Red Queen and she is Princess Rainies' dragon. We see them flying to King's Landing. Uh, I don't know if you noticed it, but Maylees is like twice as big as Sea Smoke. She's older and she's meaner. In in Fire and Blood, she's described as being very, very cranky. (laughs) She's like (laughs) an old woman who doesn't want to move. So it takes her a while to like get her off the ground. But once she's in the air, she's one of the fastest dragons living currently. I love it. Please give me more of that dragon. We will definitely see more of that dragon if certain events are covered. (laughs) Yes. But yeah, so we have Rhaenyra in her beautiful white wedding gown with her almost Viking-esque braided hairstyle just Mm -hmm. piled atop her head like a, a beautifully braided beehive. And she and her father are sitting in the center of the dais welcoming guests. And the first set of guests to come in is House Lannister, led by Jason Lannister, who mm-hmm. was famously rejected by Rhaenyra. And then we get Sir Gerald Royce, who was Lady Rhea's cousin. And then we get House Valerion, and they get to enter to quite the fanfare. Everybody is cheering. They are dressed to the nines in colors of black and gold. They look like a very strong power family, as they should, because this wedding is uniting the two great Valerian houses of Valerion and Targaryen. Mm-hmm. And everything seems to be fine and dandy going forward. Everybody is super excited when Rhaenyra and Lenor rise to greet each other, and, you know, Lenor kisses her hand like the gallant knight he is. Everybody cheers, because this is Prince William and Kate getting married. It's ushering in a new promising time for Westeros. Yeah, you gotta set your DVR. You're gonna miss this wedding. It's very short. (laughs) Yeah. We see shots of Kristen Cole interspliced throughout the entire wedding. He's looking noticeably very unhappy. He does not have any kind of poker face. I want to note something before we go further. I want to go back to The Bachelor number three that was kicked off the island, Jason Lannister. Do we have to? (laughs) I was just like, do we have to? (laughs) Just just for a second, because he says a line that sort of introduces another line and also the entrance of a certain character. He notes, as he's speaking to Viserys and the lovely Rhaenyra who jilted him, mm-hmm. he says, where's the queen? A queen is late. And he says, this is why men wage war. Because they're constantly waiting on women to get dressed. Yeah. Yes. But he says, this is why men wage war. And yeah. then when we get to another line by Littlefoot, He sort of says something about the banners and the colors, and we'll get to that. And I just thought that was a very interesting line. 
Yeah, no, it was. It was just showing, well, it's showing how misogynistic Jason is, but he doesn't realize how loaded it is, too, mm-hmm. <laughs> due to the context of the situation that will come into place very soon here. Before that moment happens, we get Damon Targaryen's entrance immediately after the Valerion entrance, and, you know, he arrives to complete silence and once again just coming on the back of being exiled he doesn't care he shows up uninvited the series is visibly annoyed he's just like are you kidding me i just got rid of you like you better not screw <laughs> things up <laughs> yep and, and i love it <laughs> yeah Immediately after is when Allison Hightower arrives, interrupting Viserys during his welcome speech for the wedding. So you know this was a very deliberately crafted entrance, not just the dress, which as you've noted is the color of what, Whitney? It is green. It is a very pretty green. I would love that dress. So as Larry's mentions, anytime Old Town calls its banners to war, they change the color of the light in the high tower uh, lighthouse to the color of green. So by Allison arriving in this green dress, it's as if she is declaring war herself. She is. Interesting choice of words. I don't know that she's necessarily declaring war just yet, but it is a very pointed statement. And she is showing, even though this is a wedding for Rhaenyra, she's still here she's still important it doesn't matter that her father has been dismissed and she's fully stepping into her power and the other thing i noted along with how beautiful that dress is the music has a noticeably sinister orchestral feel to it it almost kind of feels like the cersei lannister light of the seven music that played during uh the scene where the high sept was blown up oh yes Uh It was a wonderfully beautiful and villainous score to kind of clue the viewer into the fact that this heel turn has been made. Allison is every bit the queen. She will not be set aside and she has no trouble disrupting her former friend's wedding or Viserys' speech. And he, he's completely rattled, almost as if he forgot she existed because in many ways he has. She's just kind of been there to like pop out his babies. He forgets she's her own person. Well, so does her father. I think her father knows this has been in her, which is why he was really urging her to bring it out, to remind Mm -hmm. her, like, hey, I'm not going to be here to advocate for you anymore. You have to advocate for yourself. And this is what Allison's doing. When Allison arrives, she stares daggers at Rhaenyra. She calls her stepdaughter. I think that's the first time she's done this, but she's definitely asserting her position here. She is the queen. Rhaenyra is her stepdaughter, and she's not happy. You can see it on her face. She's like, I am not happy happy with you we are not friends anymore yeah and Rhaenyra kind of just looks like what happened there but they can't cause a scene it's her wedding or a wedding celebration but I did enjoy the fact that Damon didn't stand up for her same yeah everybody pointed that out on a TikTok the stage is now set for the rest of the series and the major players for the start of the Dance of the Dragons are all either seated at that table or they are present in the hall. Viserys, once he kind of regains his composure, you could tell he's just annoyed. He's like, he wants to get this over with. He promises a splendid wedding affair, a feasting, tournaments, and gaiety. And after seven days, seven coincided with the, uh, the Faith of the Seven. Seven's always been like a holy member. At the end of it will be the wedding between House Valerion and House Targaryen, which obviously doesn't happen (laughs) uh, due to the events that are about to occur. 
but it seems like everything's good. We're about to have a fun wedding. Rhaenyra and Lenor start the festivities off with a dance. And I thought their dance was cute. It was just like, hey. Really nice to see medieval style dancing brought Mm -hmm. to the show. That was another thing I felt was missing from Game of Thrones. Because dancing was very much part of the spectacle of court life uh, during medieval courts and renaissance courts. Was there dancing in Game of Thrones? I don't, I really don't think there was. Because the only time I ever saw like a celebration was a wedding and people died. I never saw any dancing. Yeah, they they gave us a couple of the tourneys and the jousts, but we never really got the feasts and the feasts are where the dancing generally happened. Okay. They're very good. They're both very graceful. I kind of noted in my notes that Lenore is a very attractive man. He's got soft features. You just, you kind of just want to like caress his cheeks. <laughs> he's just a very good dancer. The camera work cleverly cuts to several faces that are observing their dance. Mm-hmm. You see Joffrey Lonmouth kind of, he looks a touch jealous here. You know, it's one thing to talk about the arrangement and it's another to see presumably the love of your life, or at least the love of the moment with mm-hmm. another person in public and just understand that your relationship can never be expressed this publicly. I think that's part of what's going on here. Yeah. We see him spot Cole because Kristen Cole does not have a poker face. Lonmouth immediately susses out that this is Rhaenyra's paramour. Earlier in the episode, he had wondered out loud, like, I wonder who her paramour is, otherwise she wouldn't have proposed this. No one living with them day to day could figure it out, but a guy sitting across a table got it in like an hour. Yeah, well, that that gives you an indication that Joffrey Lonmouth is very, uh, very observant. You can tell he likes to stir the pot, and if you're a pot stir, it's because you like to be in other people's business, and the only way you can be in other people's business is by observing them. Yep. Um, we see Damon absolutely beaming as he watches Rhaenyra, which I actually thought was kind of sweet. He's happy to see her in her element and kind of looking happy and capturing the attention of everybody around her. And Allison is pissed. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And Viserys sees it. And again, he's just like, good lord. (laughs) Can I please get a break here? Why is she upset now? Oh, yeah. He's like, oh, no, it must be that time of the month. (laughs) I, I would say that in this scene specifically, I really did get the sense that Allison is jealous and resentful of the fact that Rhaenyra kind of gets to have her cake and eat it too without any consequences. Yeah, she's getting a lot of attention placed on her. Damon's watching her when Christian Cole is not darting his eyes. He's watching her at some points. Night Kisses is watching Lenor and her. I don't think it's just that people are watching her. She's genuinely enjoying herself. That's yeah. what Allison is jealous of. I felt like Alice, instead of picking at her nails, she was definitely picking at that poor chicken. And <laughs> Good point. I didn't catch that. <laughs> she was like killing that dead bird. Well, at least she was attacking not herself. <laughs> That's an improvement. Oh, yeah. I think now she I has it was a series pl- that was digging into the bird. He was also digging into his bird and eating okay. it but she wasn't even looking at Viserys and was just plucking stuff it okay was, that's was... nervous tick manifesting again got it I didn't notice that I pay attention next time our next scene is 
Sir Gerald Royce, he, he comes up to the dais and he calls out Damon for killing his cousin Rhea, blatantly calling him out. I noticed that during this scene, the music, it's all mostly orchestral, but the drums are starting to pick up pace as the tension slowly builds throughout this scene. Mm-hmm. Damon very unconvincingly claims to be bereft that his late lady wife has passed, but to turn the tables on Sir Gerald, who's really just trying to bring Damon to task and get justice for his cousin. Damon notes that Rhea was supposed to inherit where he's from. <laughs> yes. Oh god, I can't think of the name of the castle. It's like Runestone or something. Yes. Okay, so she was set to inherit Runestone. Um and since they don't have any heirs, Damon says he's going to make a claim for that inheritance. I'm going to provide a little book spoiler here because we are going to have a 10-year time jump, so I don't know if the show is going to make reference to it or not, but the ruler of the Vale is Lady Jane, known as the Lady or Maiden of the Vale, because she has not married. Um, she famously denies this request and basically turns Damon away with his tail tucked between his legs. She's her own very, like, quiet but formidable force that I'm really hoping gets cast next season. If she hasn't already been cast, maybe she will be, but Damon's not going to get it. (laughs) Nope, absolutely not. I also think it's hilarious. Can we note that Damon obviously, or maybe he's playing, doesn't even know who the cousin is of his lady wife. He's like, who are you? How dare you speak to me, sir? Yeah, I think he's mostly just peacocking here. Also noted here, Viserys and Lionel Strong, they don't say anything during this exchange, but they're both watching it, and you can tell they're both greatly disturbed by it. Like, did he really just kill his first lady wife? Like, Viserys probably wouldn't put it past him, but Lionel is just sitting there like, oh my god, we don't need this right now. Damon's openly watching Rhaenyra still. What a woman has noticed Damon, and this is the now grown-up Lena Valerion. In the books, Lena is described as being very spirited, and she also has the fiery Targaryen blood, as she herself is half Targaryen. So it kind of makes sense that she would draw Damon's attention. Lena herself seems quite forward. I like it. I liked it too. I think we only get this actress for one episode. I really liked her and I was kind of bummed we didn't get her for more episodes. But she notices Damon is newly a bachelor and the first person he takes a turn around with on the dance floor is Lena. And she makes a comment of, you know, the fact that he's a new bachelor. He's a prince, a dragon lord, and a warrior. Every maiden's dream. Do you remember what Damon says to this? I don't actually. He says, that's because you don't know me yet. Oh, Damon, at least you're honest. (laughs) He is. It's like his one redeemable quality. But Lena says, perhaps we can remedy that, which basically is teasing Damon's next major romance. Oh, speaking of teasing, I want to note something that maybe you noticed too. But before I get there, let me say something. While he's talking to Lena. You know who was also noticing this? Rhaenyra. But does she really pay any attention to Christian Cool? Not really. No, she has a few moments where she's dancing with Lanor, and you do see her kind of lock eyes with Christian Cole very, very briefly. And you can see she does feel a little bad. But again, the kind of romance she has with Christian Cole isn't the same intense romance that she has with Damon. Yes, she seems visibly 
visibly upset that he's talking to another woman whereas when she looks at christian she's just like oh man i'm sorry yeah it's a different dynamic she's besotted with damon so now let me get to the musical dancing partners if you follow where i'm going so damon starts dancing with Leanna. yes but then he goes to rainira but rainira starts the evening with Lanar. then she goes to harwin and yes. then she goes to damon so if Ooh. you are following Ooh. my drift is yes. that not hilarious I didn't even think about that. That is a good catch. That's a good. It's the musical chairs. Very very clever. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so these scenes, they all intercut with Joffrey Lawnmouth and Lanor gossiping. Again, Lawnmouth has figured out who Rhaenyra's paramour is. He makes the comment of "She knows your secret now, you know hers," which implicates that Lanor could potentially use that info if he needs to. Again, yeah, he had I just a sinister get... smile. I didn't like it. I didn't like that moment. I got that vibe more from Lawnmouth. I just get the sense that he enjoys stirring the pot. He likes the idea of having a leg up on people. That Lenore had a bit of a smile too, but it, I think it was more, I don't know, this is just my interpretation. I got more of the sense of like, oh, that's her paramour. That's kind of scandalous because it's a Kingsguard. But yeah, like again, stirring the pot, which is going to be to his detriment in the end. Um, rest in peace to Joffrey Lawnmouth. But the music continues to increase in tempo. As the tension increases, the drumming increases. Lawnmouth goes to Cole, and you can tell immediately they're on two very different playing fields. Lawnmouth operates out in the open, whereas Cole is trying to hide his shame. But Lawnmouth basically says, like, hey, I know that you're Rhaenyra's paramour. And just so you know, like, we actually have a pretty cozy arrangement here. It's kind of nice. Like, they get to be with each other in public. We get to be the side pieces. We're both sworn swords to Mm -hmm. these people who we care about. And so long as we protect their secrets, they're protected, which means we're protected. Cole says very little during this exchange other than the fact that he's on duty, but you really get the sense the kettle is pressure cooking. Cole's already spilled the beans. Nobody knows it yet, but his anxiety is amping up and we cut from here. Everyone is still having a good time. Joffrey and Lenor get to embrace publicly. That part I was kind of like, y'all need to be careful. Just as when Damon steals a dance with Rhaenyra for another very tension-filled scene. Both resort to their love language of speaking High Valyrian to one another, um, which indicates the intimacy of this very open moment. And here we get Damon asking if this is what Rhaenyra really wants. He notes that Laenor is a good man, but he'll bore her ultimately. Yeah. Rhaenyra's heart is full of fire. She needs excitement. She needs adventure. She can't just have a life of duty that won't satisfy her. You know, it's kind of very reminiscent to what Christian Cole tried to say in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But whereas Rhaenyra turned Christian down, she says to Damon, well, then make me your wife. Take me away from here and we can do this. Rhaenyra challenges him. I think she's kind of figured out that Damon does a lot of peacocking. <laughs> he blows yeah. a lot of steam. He has a lot of big, grand words. Right? 
but he doesn't necessarily have the follow through. So she's calling him on his bluff here. I loved this scene. I loved how the camera really focuses them on the center of the frame and you have the dancing going on all around them. Mm-hmm. It almost seems like everyone else is blurred, but they are the focus here. And she challenges him. She calls his bluff. She says, if you would have me cut through my father's king's guard and take me to Dragonstone. And it's this moment. It's the fact that Rhaenyra steps up to him and challenges him. You see, and Matt Smith does a wonderful job of this. He is visibly turned on by Mm -hmm. Rhaenyra's fire. Again, I think it's really seeing that kindred spirit in her too. We often covet the parts of ourself that we don't necessarily possess or we would like to possess. And I think, although Damon has a big game of talking he doesn't always follow through and Rhaenyra seems like she's ready to follow through and I think he likes that about her but we don't hear his answer and why is that (laughs) oh before we cut sorry the whole time this is happening again it is done for everybody to see like I think Damon even grabs her face it looks like they're about to kiss at her own wedding, in front of everybody. The series is watching. Allison is watching. The series is horrified. He's just like, don't you dare do this. Like, not now, please. <laughs> in like two months. <laughs> He's like, for the love of God, people, have some propriety. <laughs> and then, as you think you're going to get another kiss, pandemonium breaks out. A full-on riot. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a riot if it's two people? Um, there's there's pushing and shoving in the crowd. So yeah, that oh yeah, that's true. A riot because Rhaenyra actually gets pushed to the ground before we we actually see what has started all this commotion. It looks like she's going to be trampled, and then that's when Lionel Strong gives his nod to his oldest son. And what does Harwin do? Harwin goes, all right. Then he just pushes people aside. Yeah, he just cuts through that crowd. Yeah, like there's dominoes. Right, yeah. (laughs) And he scoops Rhaenyra up and he tosses her over his shoulder. Is he going to be her new white knight, figuratively? I don't think he can become a Kingsguard. I mean, yeah, spoiler alert, he becomes her new sworn shield. Oh, okay. (laughs) I'm sure we'll see more of that in episode six, but... Well, I mean the imagery of that. Her old sworn short. I can't say the word. Sworn. Sworn sword. It is hard to say. <laughs> Her old sworn sword, Christian, by the end of this episode, and we'll talk about that scene, is on his way out. He got demoted, at least in Rhaenyra's eyes. And then in comes her new shiny knight. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about the differences from the books too, because it's actually a little more clear cut in the book, but so during this pandemonium, we see Viserys physically crumbling. The stress of everything seems to be physically manifesting in his body. He's already swaying on the dais, like ready to collapse. And we cut to Kristen Cole. He is completely lost. All of his marbles, all of his anxiety and his heartbreak is unleashed and the only emotional outlook men of this time have thanks to the patriarchy toxic masculinity which is his fists and he's punching Lonmouth who knows what else Lonmouth said to him maybe he didn't say anything maybe he saw Rhaenyra and Damon dancing for all we know but he's lost it at one point Lanor tries to interfere Kristen Cole punches him in the face and god he just goes to town on Joffrey Lonmouth 
and bashes his skull in. Yeah, I'm very thankful we didn't have to watch the actual stabbing of the eye. Well, we've all seen what his face looks like at the end. I'm just, I'm not into that, guys. I understand the brutality, but I don't need to see it. Yeah, you very much get the sense this is a, a passion killing. He's, the moment it's done, he kind of comes back to his senses. He sees what he's done. He's almost hit rock bottom at this point, and he... He runs off kind of horrified at his actions, ready to throw himself on his sword, literally. And then we see Lenor crawling towards his dead lover, and he wails in grief. And let me tell you, like, that actor, like, tugged at my heartstrings. I felt horrified for him, and I felt his grief. Oh, it was so heart-wrenching. Yeah. Because, you know, they came here and he ends up losing his lover. Yeah, this is probably the first casualty of the Dance of the Dragons. And it really kind of gives you an indication of the stakes of the game at this point, especially when passion is involved. I think one of the things Game of Thrones kind of missed out on, there really weren't too many couples. Mm. You had Ned and Catelyn, but they had already settled in to their roles. So they were like, you know, the old married couple. You have Jamie and Cersei, but I don't know. I don't think a lot of people just didn't buy that romance, no matter how hard they tried to sell it. Yes, you had Tyrion and Shay, but it was nothing to really get excited over. It wasn't until John and Egret and then John and Danny that people really got excited for romance and now here we have House of the Dragon and all of these romantic entanglements because passion rules the heart. Give me the bad decisions. Give me the heart. Lots of bad decisions. So before we finish this episode off, one of the major detractions from Fire and Blood is how Joffrey Lonleth dies. Oh, do tell. It is Kristen Cole who kills him, but this occurs during a tournament. Basically one of the tourneys that the series referenced. Oh, okay. Uh, it was a tourney for this wedding, but in it, this is when Kristen Cole does his heel turn. Instead of asking for Rhaenyra's favor, he asks for Allison's favor. And this is the moment where Rhaenyra realizes, for whatever reason, Kristen Cole no longer supports her. It's like a huge show in front of everybody. And then Harwin Strong comes in and asks for Rhaenyra's favor. And they face off. Kristen Cole actually defeats Harwin Strong and actually breaks his collarbone. And he's known as Broken Bones from that point by the Green Party. And then he faces off against Joffrey Lonmouth in the tourney. And then that's how Lonmouth dies. He dies during the tourney. Same exact way his face is caved in. But Wow, that is such a departure. Granted, the outcomes will be the same. I wonder what they were thinking to place it all in just this one day. But then again, they do six months in one evening, so. I think part of it was probably budgetary. They'd already had one tournament of the season, which was the first episode. Is the potential for another tournament, I think, a little later? We'll see. But it's also, it's probably cheaper to shoot a wedding scene than uh, people flying at each other on a horse with a lance. So. Oh, yeah, that's true. That'd be my guess. But that is a little difference between book and show. But you're right. The outcome is pretty much the same. Except Rhaenyra doesn't know yet. Right. So I wonder how the reveal will be done for next episode. 
I think it's just going to be implied. Like a frosty exchange or something. Yeah, maybe they make reference. We'll we'll find out, but it's we will be beyond that point now. Yeah. This episode concludes with the wedding of Rhaenyra and Laenor. It is a quiet affair with a family amidst the bloodshed of the feast. And it's a shotgun wedding. And it's literally happening right after the death of Joffrey. Lanor's still heartbroken, still crying. He's stumbling his way through his wedding vows. Uh, you have this beautiful shot of Millie Alcott as Rhaenyra. You can see she's heartbroken for him. And, and she does empathize with the fact that he's lost this person that he loves dearly. Mm-hmm. And... This is not a big celebrated event anymore. This is done simply to get it out of the way. It's very sad. It's very tragic. The music is once again very melancholy and morose. And it's more symbolism for the tragic events to come. Houses Targaryen and Valerion, they wed it amidst the chaos and bloodshed and tears. And that's kind of what we have to look forward to. Yeah, we still got Night of Kisses blood on the floor. There's a rat. This marriage is just doomed from the start. I really think the rats, because they've been teased in every episode, uh, it's another... (sighs) The Meisters are often referred to as rats, so we we keep getting teases of the Meister conspiracy of, like, deliberately sabotaging the Targaryen dynasty to kill them. Mm, You know, that'll be interesting to see how this season plays out. Yeah. The series collapses, and the entire wedding is intershot with Kristen Cole in the Godswood. His honor completely sullied for all the world to see, and his love wed to another man. He sees no other option but to take his own life. The falling upon your sword is very reminiscent of both the Roman centurions and mm-hmm. samurais. Anytime they are defeated in battle in order to save their family from the shame of their defeat or dishonor, they would fall upon their sword. That was what they would do. This scene reminded me of that. But Cole's hand is stilled by which woman? Whitney? Why it would be Queen Alicent yet again coming to his rescue, if we're going to call it that. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a rescue. She stops him from killing himself. She's come to save him. She is the only other person to know his secret, and she's in need of allies. And Cole's the first person who will join Team Green. My thing is, is now that he's joined Team Green... How would Viserys even allow his wife to keep on her staff, I guess, in a way? Not her staff, it's his staff. Well, his staff. Like, why would he even keep him? Uh, There was a shot of Joffrey pulling out a dagger. I think that was deliberately done. And I think Kristen Cole can easily say he pulled steel out at a wedding. So it was his duty to kill him. Mm, gotcha that's my guess obviously he lost his mind and they'll find a way to spin that but yeah that's a very easy one to work around you don't pull steel at a wedding even if you're defending yourself that's just a thing i noted the camera immediately like zoned in on the dagger so i think that's the excuse they're gonna use and then there's a lot of people there that be like he had his knife out yeah so i'll conclude this episode by asking a question I do have a few answers for we can kind of pick and choose but who do we want to blame for the events 
that occurred at the end of this wedding. Do we blame Rhaenyra for following her passions? Consequences be damned. Do we blame Kristen Cole for being too straightforward a man for the Game of Thrones and falling prey to his own broken heart? Do we blame Joffrey Lonmouth for being an instigator and a pot stirrer? Do we blame Alicent for being jealous and a busybody that ha- also has to be self-interested for her own survival? Mm-hmm. Do we blame the patriarchy for giving both men and women very narrow-minded and rigid roles to play? Or do we blame the human condition itself and the tragedy of the heart constantly in conflict with itself? Oh, man, Rachel, you either want me to be scholarly or I want (laughs) to say something really silly. I blame Littlefoot, okay? (laughs) I think everybody has a role to play in this conflict. And I'm going to go with the human condition because at the end of the day, you were responsible for your own choices. Mm-hmm. And Sir Christian, he just, you know, people go through breakups and heartache. They and... write songs about it. They don't yeah. confess to the queen. <laughs> I mean, you play a little harp, you know? <laughs> you just, you write a book, you build, I mean, if you're Viserys, you build the opening credits to the show. Exactly. Um, a creative outlet. And Take I your broken heart and make it into art. <laughs> yes, I understand. The only thing he knows how to use is his sword. But then, like, go fight a dummy. <laughs> Get your aggression out. Don't let the the kettle build and, and brew and... Or, I mean, ask, yeah, ask for honorable honorable discharge if that was possible. I don't know. And then go back to Dorne or something. Yeah, he could have asked to go to the wall. Yeah. I thought that's what he was going to do, but no, he was like, just kill me quickly. And I was like, oh, damn. It was. Sir, you have other options. It was kind of, to be honest, I felt like it was the coward's way out. You just want a quick death. You want to get it over with. Whereas the guys that go to the wall, they're like, yeah, I did this. That's why I'm wondering if Allison really did him any favors, but she was looking for allies and having someone in your back pocket who feels indebted to you is important. She's looking for allies and they're also both duty bound. They're duty and honor bound. Like Rhaenyra is too in her own way, but she like looks for loopholes. But like mm-hmm. Allison appreciates the fact that like, I think she appreciated that Christian could be honest about what he did wrong. And here she is, his savior. And he will likely feel honor bound to her because she saved him. I think you're right. I think this is the human condition itself. And that's kind of the beauty of this conflict. This conflict in particular, but also the Dance of the Dragons as well. I think as we continue, we're going to see it's not just one person responsible for anything. There's a multitude of factors interacting with one another and that's what makes it so complex and honestly that's what makes George's writing so good that's what is making this show so good you could in theory say there's no good guys here it's all gray guys Allison could be one person's protagonist and another person's antagonist same can be said for Rhaenyra our friend is firmly in team green and Whitney and I are firmly on team black which is team Rhaenyra so 
But I don't hate Allison, but I don't hate Rhaenyra either. And I'm yeah. rooting for her because so far, all of these things were thrust upon her that she didn't ask for. And I guess even Allison, but going past, I guess how we say she more progressive in her stances and with honor and all of that, like Christian Cole is probably very rigid in what honor means to him by yeah. the standards set by people who view honor in just a specific way. But I feel like Rhaenyra saying, Christian, going to tell anyone. Honestly, Christian did nothing wrong except for break vows that keep you from being a human. Okay, so here's the irony of that too, and I was thinking about this. Those vows are in place so that the loyalty of the King's Guard can't be compromised for the King. Because, and they don't say you can't have sex. Mm. They just say you cannot marry, you cannot have children or hold lands. Because should your lands be confiscated by the crown, should your children go to war with the crown, should your wife go to war with the crown, that's a conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. What better way to protect your queen than to be in her bed? I mean, that's a good point. <laughs> so. But you know what's yeah. funny? I wrote this down after watching it. I said, does Sir Christian have honor or just the appearance of it? He's no better than Damon. Maybe worse because at least Damon's honest about what he is from the get-go. I would say Kristen Cole was a more honorable man to start with, at least mm-hmm. his intentions. You know, he wanted to protect the weak, in theory, protect his princess, um, do good by working hard. But I don't know if that'll change <laughs> in the books. He's very much a villain, so. <laughs> oh, is he? Yeah, so. I mean, if you think Team Green, without saying where all the allegiances are going to pop up and I don't want to get spoilery but if you can envision that old town is with Alicent that's where the Meisters are Mm -hmm. team green just in the simplest terms even though her kids are Targaryen is destroying the Targaryen line by supplanting Rhaenyra. Not necessarily. Team Green has its own Targaryens. Yes, I know, but it's almost like they're setting out to maybe cause a war, and I'm wondering if, and you may know, and I don't want to know, I know that there's going to be a war, but who would draw the first sword if it hasn't already been drawn now? I think we'll come back to that question with season end. I'm thinking of a very specific moment. I can say it at the very end here and just let people know huge major spoiler and we can come back and see if it's true. Oh, okay. Okay. That'll be fun. Let's see if Rachel's prediction comes true. Well, before we do that, let's do um, our winner of the episode. Oh, okay. Yes. Allison. For you? Okay. I think she's mm-hmm. the winner. She came fully into herself. She didn't lose anybody she loves. She's not the one in tears. She's starting to create her own faction and she saves Kristen Cole at the end. Oh, shoot. Who do I think is a winner? Harwin? Okay. For throwing fists and kicking butt and taking names and rescuing Rhaenyra. Yeah. Even though she said, put me down. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's their meet cute. Honestly, any man that can push anybody over like a domino and have it be hilarious, that's a winner in my book. And he comes from my 10 of 10, Sir Lionel Strong. (laughs) 
I like it. I like it. All right. Who's your loser of the episode? My loser is going to be Bachelor number three, Sir Jason Lannister. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he got talked down to again. <laughs> yep. He... Anytime he appears, he's going to be the loser, huh? <laughs> he's going to be my loser until he gets voted off the island. <laughs> and I hope, well, please don't tell me if he dies. I honestly don't remember what happens to him. <laughs> yeah, he's my loser. My loser is Kristen Cole. You were stupid. You could have been the Queen's paramour, but instead you had to be a little crybaby and tell on yourself and yeah you're the biggest loser here <laughs> yeah you could have had silk sheets mm-hmm. biggest loser Kristen Cole yeah performance of the episode I'm just gonna take this one Whitney um uh, it's uh, Millie Alcock and Emily Carey as young Rhaenyra and young Allison. they did a phenomenal job basically getting us prepared for the meat of this series and and helping us to really care for these two characters that are going to be incredibly important going forward. So thank you. Yes, thank you. You were able to put Rachel and I on Team Black and our other friend on Team Green. That's how good you were. Hey man, Emily Carey was able to make me like sympathize with Allison, which I did not think was possible. <laughs> so job well done. Yes. We'll miss them. So yeah, before we do the spoiler corner, you have been listening to Jerkara's. House of the Dragon podcast. If you are not sick of hearing my voice, I have another podcast called Difficult Danzels. Whatever platform you are listening to this podcast on, you can probably find that podcast. And that's where I talk about really badass, amazing, and sometimes problematic women from history. And you can help get the word out for this podcast by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. Five stars, please. And tell your friends. All right, so Rachel's dun, dun, spoiler dun. corner. This will be a very, 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 very major spoiler. So please leave now if you do not want to hear it. I think first sword will actually be first fire breath, but it will be the defining moment. Will likely be at Storm's End, which is when Allison sends her second son, Amond off to treat with the Lord of Storm's End. He gets there first mm -hmm. on Vigar. He's claimed Vagar, the largest dragon in living existence. And I believe Rhaenyra sends her son, Jace. I think it's Jace. It's her second son, I believe. First or second, but she sends him. He's not as much of a fighter, and he gets there, but Aemon has beaten him there. Aemon's already, like, getting the Baratheons to support him. Aemon's very fiery and hot-headed as well. He looks like Daemon Targaryen. There's a couple of trailer shots of him that, like, a lot of people mistook him for Daemon. So Rhaenyra's, I think she sends Jace, and... Chase is like, I don't want to fight you. I am just here to talk to Lord Baratheon. But Aemon goes off and basically starts fighting him and murders him on Vagar. <gasps> and that breaks the accord because at this point, there's been no bloodshed between the two parties. Um, they're still trying to like just negotiate their support. And when Rhaenyra finds out, she is devastated. And Allison, when she finds out, she's horrified because she knows this means... Nothing will hold Rhaenyra back after that point. Oh, so she feared this whole time that Rhaenyra would kill her kids. Yep. And her kid was the first one to kill someone. Yep. But 
his eye so here's kind of the thing um his eye was taken out when the two kids were playing as kids with their swords like Rhaenyra's son accidentally like pokes his eye out so he's always been resentful because of that oh yeah but see there's an accident and then there's intentionally doing something yes and this was very much a thing that was intentionally done and yeah that's when the gloves come off and the dance of the dragons like officially starts all right and he's younger too like the the valerian boys are a couple years younger than aegon and aemon so he's literally like a child wow yeah (laughs) i'm team black (laughs) yeah well we'll come back to it i think that's what's gonna be episode 10 it it would be a good place to stop it because then you really get a sense of like oh the stakes are that high (laughs) that is a good cliffhanger and definitely a good like (gasps) what's gonna happen next season i it's very heart-wrenching i remember every time i like read it in the book i i I, like don't want to read it like no i don't want to read this part there's like two or three moments like that in the series where i'm like i don't want to read this it, it's gonna hurt <laughs> so seeing it is gonna hurt Ooh, i don't know if i Ooh, all right yeah it's gonna be like a ned stark moment 